This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Allie Egan, and I'm the president and CEO of the women's fashion brand, Cynthia Rally. And what I love about the fashion industry and working in the fashion industry is that it really inspires people and women from, you know, the most simple level of how do you feel good throughout your day to how do you try something new, how do you connect with someone at a party, etc. But um, then our challenge as leaders in the industry is, is, is figuring out how to connect and inspire her. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome again to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm Mark Rico, and uh, we're excited to have you here on this episode. I'm here with Kathy Shepes, who has uh, graciously uh, another Mouth Media show, American Fashion Podcast, has has lent us for the moment. No, anyway, Kathy, you're very excited to be <laughs> very here. Excited to be here. Uh, just to let you know, if you're not aware, uh, Kathy, in addition to being a host on American Fashion Podcast, also does advisory work helping uh, direct-to-consumer apparel brands to build healthy infrastructure for long-term sustainability. So you can check her out at uh, leancanvasadvisory.com. If, if you don't already know that, you should check it out. But, uh, Kathy, I'm so happy that you're here with us. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also joining us, uh, we're, we have Mouth Media Network, uh, who produces Fashion Is Your Business, is uh, really pleased to be able to be working with Commerce Next, uh, who's made available some of the speakers from their upcoming conference on July 31st and August 1st in New York. Today, we're lucky to have sitting in as also a guest host, Joe uh, Yakwell. He is the CEO of Agency Within, and he's a known retail speaker also and uh, joining us on the show. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here too. Uh, certainly, Agency Within is doing some great things, and we're excited to unpack them as well through the conversation. And definitely, last but not least, so pleased to have Ali Egan. She is the president and CEO at Cynthia Rowley, a women's apparel brand. And uh, I can't wait to dive in, Ali. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, perhaps we could start here. Okay. Um. Women's apparel brands have been going through so much change recently as the identity of women in the media, even through social media, is just in 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 constant – I don't know if it's in transformation. Maybe the identity of women isn't changing or maybe it is. So I guess what I'd like to ask you is how is Cynthia Rowley looking at the way that not only your your apparel line – makes its adjustments and pivots with the identity of women as it changes. But how does even the way that you connect with your followers and your consumers, how are you thinking about that and changing that as you go? And how are you leading that? Totally. Um, I think it's it's two key components. It's about staying relevant, right? So you can't just rest on your laurels of a certain design or a certain talking point that has worked in the past. But what, what's, what else is going on in consumers' lives? And the amazing thing about the fashion industry and, and consumer industry in general now is that that data, is that information is more available to retailers on a more actually, uh, you know, qual- quantitative basis of these are the, you know, uh, beyond fashion, she's interested in this type of f- fitness or she's interested in these political issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think it's about understanding the broader context of, of her life. Uh, and then for us as a brand, it's about taking that, taking all the data and then saying, OK, well, what is our point of view on that? Because you can do all the analysis and et cetera. And, but that's not what makes a brand a brand. What makes a brand a brand is saying, OK, here's my point of view in the world and I'm going to stand behind it. So, you know, a good example of that is um, we recently um, made the first burkini that was in Sports Illustrated. Um, uh, Halima um, Adin, who's uh, a Muslim model, uh, wore our uh, burkini. And and that was something that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily do, but something that we felt was relevant for the time and that we believed in. Um, and then got to bring, you know, sort of our fun spirit to that um, platform. 
That was an awesome move. Uh, thank you. Oh, my God. And it's fabulous. I mean, the ad yeah. is – the spread is amazing. Thank so you. So what kind of feedback – are you getting on that already? We've gotten so much positive feedback from, you know, obviously tons of press to, uh, you know, customers reaching out to us, thanking us for doing that to, you know, we weren't even going to sell it because at first, we, you know, we're not necessarily in that market specifically before. And we're like, no, you know what? We're going to really stand behind this. We're going to make this and sell this. So we actually have it on our website and people are buying it. So that's the best feedback. Have you, have you gotten, I'm just curious, because I think there's always obviously two sides to it. And uh, I think a lot of brands are getting positive feedback for things they do, but also negative feedback. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've gotten it too. Like, how do you handle that when you get, when you get it, especially when it's in a public forum, because it's one thing when it's an email to customer support. Uh, it's yeah. another when it's a comment on a social media post or something on Twitter or whatever. Um, like, how, how do you guys handle things like that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've been personally lucky to not have any crazy, you know, controversies. That, but I think it's it's uh, it's about, I mean, I think it's great that we have a very grounded team and founder and, and Cynthia herself. And so, you know, I think where brands sometimes have a disconnect is is what the life you lead versus the life that most people lead. Um, and so, you know, trying to, to, to keep that top of mind and stay relevant there. And then for me, it's it, like that's what's the most important about transparency for us. Like if we did something and we weren't, you know, it had a reaction that we weren't um, – expecting or as proud of as we wanted to be just being honest with our audience about saying okay we didn't realize it came off that way um and that's and then it, you know it's dedicating time and resources from like a social and customer service perspective to answer those comments to reach out to people and not just you know have it be uh, a one-way conversation cool so you joined them not long ago, right? Maybe two, uh, 14 months ago, 15 months so ago. So when you came mm -hmm. in, like, where were they technology-wise? I mean, because Cynthia yeah. Raleigh's been a brand. I mean, you would call a it a heritage time. brand, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. 30 years. Right, right. What, well, what I was personally excited about is being able to take a, you know, more traditional but beloved brand and put a modern business model behind it and also support that with the right technology. So... You know, when I a little bit before I joined, we were primarily wholesale and license driven. Uh, I came on uh, wanting to drive the business more direct to consumer. Uh, we're about 70 percent direct now through our own e-commerce as well as our retail stores uh, and have totally upgraded our systems from, you know, sort of looking at not just what we what I call company data, which is, you know, when you're getting sales reports from the Saks and the Bloomingdale's of the world, all you can see is top line sales. And but to say, okay, now I know that Kathy purchased, you know, this specific dress, then three months later, she purchased that and like using that data now to help us both, uh, you know, create our product line as well as uh, do, have marketing messages um, to our customers and, and and grow the business that way. So, so I think um, it's interesting because I, I totally agree around leveraging the data that you have available to you. And I think most people are thinking about that data in terms of marketing use cases, which yeah. I think is just by far the most common, right. you know, people leveraging data um, around like what creative works well or, or what content works well. But I think one of the places where people are still, and it's surprising to me, not really leveraging that data is for merchandising mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of people are still buying the same way people bought 50 years ago, which yeah. is, you know, somebody who feels like they have, you know, a good thumb on, on where the market is going and where trends are going and then produces something that um, will come in months later, right, um, and eventually show up on yeah. site. Um, I was speaking with uh, the CEO of Daily Harvest, and they were talking a lot about kind of how um, they're using that data to influence, like, what they'll make next um, mm -hmm. and and that merchandising piece. Um, are you guys doing anything like that? And if so, if you can share with the audience a little bit about that, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, we definitely are. Um, but I think what uh, we need to be careful about, and me as a business person versus working with a designer, is, you know, we are a high-end inspirational brand. And I think it's been very clear that truly are only merchant-driven businesses 
um, you know, not to put them down too much, but the J. Crews of the world have, have had have struggled of recent because um, they're, you know, in the sea of crowded products where you can get any blue, you know, T-shirt that you want. Why are you going to buy it from them um, or why are you going to buy in general? Because you probably don't actually even need it. Um, and so we're trying to use our data to say, OK, yeah, I sell a lot of I sell a lot of long dresses this time of year. And so I want to make sure that I have those on the floor. Um, these are, you know, the uh, the styles and silhouettes. But I'll tell you, like, I'm still surprised by sometimes what things are successful. And totally. so we want to open ourselves up for that. So for us, it's been more about changing our um, distribution, production and supply chain. Um, to accommodate for that. So uh, so now we try, we show seasonally because, you know, we want to uh, present to the fashion community. And also, you know, it's still a relevant channel um, when we show in September and uh, February. But then we take that and we break that down. So we have almost um, bi-monthly deliveries. Uh, and then we also have, you know, taken lessons from kind of the Supremes of the world and saying, here's our uh, limited quantities. We'll do a drop and uh, and see if it's successful. And then the thing that we've uh, just started doing from a merchandising perspective that's really been successful for us is if a style is really hot and relevant, instead of just trying to reorder that and, and fill that back end, um, is is take that and do a slight update for it. And so this dress that I'm wearing now but that the audience can't see is a perfect example of that. We've made it in like at least five or six different prints. Um, and that enables us to have new digital assets, which we know um, is super important for, for us uh, now. Um, and then also to say, uh, I'm not only getting new customers with this, but perhaps someone who loved that style in a different color can love it in this color as well. And have you sped up the time from like concept to delivery? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean, that's the fun thing about working in a smaller company. We are super fast. And so, um, you know, we can design something in a day and then it's just a matter of, of uh, you know, where it produces and then shipping and what have you. But um, we've definitely shortened that timeline considerably. So are you producing in the U.S.? Uh, the U.S. And, uh, and internationally as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And getting it that fast. Yeah. So you said 70% um, of your business is being done online. So, you know, it used to be fulfillment direct. direct. So mm -hmm. uh, fulfillment was always something, a big part of merchandising. Mm -hmm. But now running out is not an issue for your customers. Uh, you know, so, so selling out when styles. it's done. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, it's, look, it's always a missed opportunity and saying, oh, crap, could I have sold more of that, um, you know, thing? And you're like, uh, but, um, but for us too, we're selling distinctive dresses and it's important for us to also say that's a value proposition we're giving to our customers. And so if I'm making 600 of them and then you show up to a party wearing the same, like a very distinctive, but the same dress as someone else, it's like not really what you're looking for. And so we have to, you know, blend that with the reality of what we are providing to our customers and knowing that that will, uh, by nature limit the quantity of any one style. So you mentioned before about using kind of the different styles also for just content, um, yeah. digital content. And I think, you know, we work with a lot of, of similar brands um, to you guys. And I think it's, it's interesting to see how everyone's having the same kinds of struggles of just producing enough content, especially enough video content. Yeah. And I think where we see brands doing a really great job are the ones who are able to do that at scale and, and also be able to do a lot of that without kind of overthinking it. And then we see a lot of brands that struggle that really are looking for perfection um, and, and therefore are slowing themselves down and producing content that's necessary for the channel. Like, how do you guys think about keeping things on brand and making sure that you have the quality that you want, but also getting the kind of quantity that platforms like you know Facebook and Instagram, for example, really demand so that things aren't getting stale with your audience. Yeah, right. The two major ways for us to create content are through our own production and then through influencers. So I'll start with our own um, first. And um, that is literally comes down to even how we design our office space. So um, I was mentioning before the show, but we just moved our, uh, our studio to Tribeca um, where we have ground floor space and an open um, studio so people can come and see us and visit us and interact with us. Um, but we also have uh, a photo uh, studio 
directly there um, and people all the time sort of capturing content from whether it's Cynthia designing something to uh, a more formal e-commerce shoot. Uh, And then we're trying to capture multiple mediums whenever we're doing this kind of thing. So always video and uh, and still, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of on our own side. So, you know, not just having super produced shoots, but having sort of a content uh, how always. often is that happening? Would you say? I'm just curious. Is that like that a everyday thing? Con- is that oh like yeah, every day. Oh awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, some days are better than others. No, of but, course. Uh, um, you know, we try to take advantage of that. And then I would say uh, with influencers, a lot of you know the purpose of influencers for us is for that content creation. And then more specifically, you know, we're trying to create a consistent brand message um, through our own content. Um, but we know our customers and we know, uh, that we have both a super stylish woman in New York city and then kind of more of a, you know, Southern belle in, uh, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, et cetera. And they might both be inspired by our, by our brand content, but are really going to connect with something that's more specifically styled to the way that they, they see and dress and live their lives. Um, and so influencers and working with different influencers is a great opportunity for us to create content that in my mind, is more either personal or relevant um, to their style. Awesome. How, how are you to uh, expand on that a little bit um, or maybe dive deeper? Yeah. Uh, as you are integrating more and more layers of digital commerce uh, through the role that you've taken on and, mm-hmm. and more and more data that you're getting through interaction with social platforms, and it's just, just, just that data set just gets richer and richer. Yeah. Since really Cynthia has been designing for more than 30 years now, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that information has been for a lesser period of time the way it's being gathered now. How is that – how are you seeing that data is starting to be integrated into changes of the way that either Cynthia as a designer or the company and the way that serving your consumers is changing and those decisions are being made? as you learn more or or learn in different ways about your consumer? Is yeah. that a fair question? Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, so I guess let me start on the design side. Um, I think for us, it's it's try, it's more being able to zero in on what was the actual factor behind some something doing well or something not doing as well as we want it to. And it's not just like print and cut, but it's fabrication, it's durability, it's, you know, all of these kind of other factors that – um, you know, go into, you know, her decision making. Uh, and so now that we have more specificity around that, we can w- tell design and work with them and they want to make stuff that people love and sells really well too. And so um, we're able to sort of edit and merchandise mm-hmm. our line um, accordingly. And then, you know, I guess to the second part of your question is like from a consumer perspective, well, right? Well, let me use an example. And, yeah. and this may or may not be something you're doing right now, but yeah. I imagine it's at least something out in the roadmap in terms of things that are possible for you. So like with the ability to do image recognition and see uh, specific pieces of apparel in images that are in social media, be able to tag those and recognize those and see, okay, I can see those are being used for tags with parties or they're being used for tags with mm-hmm. vacationing. And I can see that this dress, the more we look at it, is being used more for vacations than it is for cocktail parties as we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. That was maybe its intent and design, but people are using it, which means now we have to think about the durability of that dress in a different way. Or, or even the creative applications. Yeah, the creative stuff. applications of even the marketing. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what, you, what you meant, Joe. But uh, um, uh, So that's kind of where I was going to. And even yeah. if you're not – Connecting with that specific type of technology actively now, knowing that it's probably in your path eventually. Yeah. So that that's kind of an example of where I was headed of how that may be starting to change the way you're. Yeah. No. I mean, I think the exciting thing now that I've seen, even in the past couple of years, it's different. So we've had you know big data now for what ten plus years, ever since the beginning of Amazon. So before that, um, 
but uh, it hasn't always been like actionable big data, right? So um, now it's, it's saying, okay, how can I scrape data from the internet and um, and use it so that um, it, it leads to like a marketing action or a customer service action, et cetera. I don't think we're fully there yet. Um, I think what I'm personally excited about and in, in general is that there's more um, smart business people working with the engineers to design what data is captured, how everything is tagged, et cetera, because it's different for every business. Um, and, you know, it would it be nice to know certain facts? Yes. But then what am I going to do with those facts? <laughs> um, and so, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, we are trying to to listen to more of that data, but then for for us and what I personally would want, you know, from a technology standpoint, what I really want to see happen is everyone, you know, all these direct-to-consumer companies say, oh my gosh, I learned so much when I opened a store, right? Because you have all of your quantitative data on e-commerce, et cetera. And you start but talking then, to human beings. Yeah, but then you start talking <laughs> to human beings and you're like, oh, that's why. And you're tying all these things together. And so it's like, what technology is going to exist that I can enable my store associates in a way that's decipherable to start entering this uh, this data and tying it back and marrying it to that quantitative data and really enabling us to take those um, relevant actions afterwards? So, uh, so I think part of what you're describing around what you get in store is that kind of human interaction, which of course, like physically is maybe not as replaceable through technology, but, uh, what a lot of companies are now starting to play around with is, you know, certain chatbot functionality. Um, I think some of the great use cases are ones where you really need to ask a lot of, you know, qualifying questions in order to make a transaction, which I think is not necessarily the case in your business, but you might be able to use it to more get at the kind of of, you know, kind of qualitative information you're looking for around like, you know, kind of what you were describing before of uh, is, is are you looking for a cocktail dress or are you looking for something, um, you know, to hang out on a vacation with, um, which might end up being able to feedback since it is then actually pretty good structured data, yeah. similar to what you would find in like a database if you're asking the same kinds of questions. Uh, have you guys thought about using applications like that? And uh, if if yes or not, like kind of what you're we doing. We have. And and, um, and there's so many exciting things. And if you design it right, it can have actually an amazing customer experience. I know, I mean, I used to work at Estee Lauder. And so um, some of the brands in that portfolio, um, you know, are, are really big and have the ability to um, to customize and, and get really uh, good recommendations as far as, you know, in Asia, giving um, reviews from Little Red Book and things that are really like um, more human um, for us. Like, and we think about cost benefit analysis as a small brand. Like, am I going to be able to dedicate enough time and money to really build out a smart enough bot that it's going to be like giving them a luxury experience? Like, probably not. At least not right now. So, what we're looking for is uh, solutions that can leverage our existing people. So, example, our amazing stylists in store, and how can we can connect them with online customers um, or phone, you know, people, various ways um, to, sh- to, to be that sort of real life chatbot, but mm-hmm. to have them touch more than the people walking in their doors. Yeah. And there's some interesting stuff going on now with like video chat like that, um, yeah. which actually could be really cool with your store where somebody could actually be chatting. And even if the person, the customer is not on video, just like the stylist like being like, oh, I, now that Send I understand me. what you're looking for, like look at this and kind of like walk over and like can actually show them things. Exactly. Um, something like that for luxury could be totally. really interesting. And then that, the other component that that brings is the convenience factor, right? Some people like want to come to the store, but they can't always do it. So or they're that, not in New York, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Cynthia Raleigh has had a lot of success because it's in luxury of using referrals and word of mouth to grow. Coming up, you'll hear Ali share how her brand is looking at going beyond word of mouth and amplifying that. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. So, Ali, 
I know that you know during the break we were talking a little bit about how you know word of mouth and referral is really really strong for you guys, and mm-hmm. especially you know being in luxury that that's a really powerful tool to get new customer growth. Um, but you know from our experience working with with a lot of brands also in the luxury space, like while it is a really powerful tool, it's hard to just kind of pour kerosene on it, mm-hmm. it or at least to a certain degree it starts to fizzle out, uh, and you need to start growing beyond those means. So. Uh, when you think about where your brand is going, you know, where do you see kind of the marketing channels that are available to you help you and get that scale? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, to, to just take a step back on that um, referral marketing for us, what that's really about is creating um, great product experiences, brand experiences, store experiences, shopping experiences online and offline so that customers are satisfied with every component of their experience. And then that's what, you know, leads to people proudly saying that they're wearing Cynthia Rally and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as we're looking to scale this and in, in, um, in a bigger way and reach more people more quickly. Um, I mean, social obviously is still the biggest channel for us, both organic and paid. Uh, and that just, we think as a brand, one of our assets is amazing content, whether that's just like product shots or other lifestyle things that we, it's almost like if they see it, they will come, but we need to make sure they see it. And so, um, so we have started, uh, you know, like all other brands, amplifying both prospecting and retargeting to get that message out to, to more people and more audiences. Um, uh, you know, search is important for us, especially as it relates, we've been growing our, uh, our retail footprint a bit more. So thinking about what that means on a localized basis, uh, and then um, working with different partners, whether that be through affiliate partners or influencers um, around, um, you know, uh, you know, either specific styles that will uh, work with people, but then also certain like life events and things. So, uh, you know, we work with some uh, bridal affiliates who are, you know, dealing with uh, women who maybe we don't make wedding dresses, but they're investing in, um, you know, key pieces for that whole part of their experience. Um, so there's a lot of ways that we can take, um, uh, we can take our community and, and, uh, and find other, um, audiences or people, people, people and partners with other audiences to spread that message. Awesome. And then, you know, if you look beyond kind of content partnerships, um, which I would say, you know, similar and in, in kind of in a way to um, the referral piece, like is is hard to necessarily like push a lever and get 10x more out of tomorrow kind of thing. Um, what are your biggest channels that are more kind of paid based where um, you can see yourself really getting a lot of, of new customer acquisition out of over the next, you know, coming, let's say 12 months or so? Yeah, I mean, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Facebook and, yeah, they're still going to be the major ones, right? That's where that's where people are. And that's the reality of it. Like, uh, you know, does it keep me up at night? Yeah, for sure. Actually, I'm like, okay, what happens if, you know, people get off Instagram? Uh, you know, how are we going to connect with those people? So we are starting right. to explore. Or it just gets more competitive, right? It's yeah. It's not necessarily oh, at the yeah. eyeballs. Or We're anything. lucky that we have a high enough average order value that we can make online customer acquisition work and don't have to do, I mean, we do do this, but don't have to rely on this crazy LTV to CAC uh, scenario to say, oh, once people purchase four times, then I finally made back my money (laughs) on it. Um, Do you set your constraints at like first order profitability? Yeah, first order profitability. So you're profitable on every customer you acquire the day you acquire them. Yes, exactly. And that's net of returns? Just curious. Uh, for the most, yes, it is for the most part. I mean, style by style, you know, yeah. fluctuate. No, and, that, and that's, that's, mm-hmm. a, I think, a, a luxury that you guys have. And at the same time, gives you a lot of runway where if you wanted to get more aggressive, you, you can, if, if you're not even baking into account any repeat, because obviously exactly. with a great brand like yours, I'm sure you have a pretty decent repeat rate, even for you oh, know, kind of apparel. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. No, I mean, the other interesting thing to think about is how do we take, uh, channels that, um, are traditionally less, um, scalable and make them scalable. So for example, influencers and, uh, and you know, the reason they haven't been scalable in the past couple of years is because they've bid up the prices on it so much. So like, if I'm going to work with certain people, it costs me too much money. So how can I really work with so many people? So, um, we're looking at it both from a technology solution standpoint, as well as, you know, kind of our own grassroots way of how do we take some, um, more, you know, 
real influencers or regular people and uh, and scale referral that way. Um, and there are some interesting uh, platforms that do this on social. And then, you know, from an in-store perspective, we're inviting our best customers in and saying, why don't you, we throw you a little party and, um, you know, you can bring all your friends. We'll bring the food and, and drinks and you just hang out and, and, and that's stuff. been really great. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's great for referral. Are, are you also finding that that's good for retention and building loyalty? Like what else oh, are you for doing sure. for retaining customers Yeah, I'm, in between purchasing? Yeah. It's something I think a lot about. I think, um, you know, it, What's exciting to me, especially coming from beauty marketing into fashion, uh, is that there are so many more opportunities for fashion to specifically address retention and repeat that haven't really been done in the past. The only lever traditionally has been like, oh, well, here's something new. So obviously the major one is like letting people know that there's something new. But then for us, it's been this whole consumer-centric mindset of like trying to understand what her uh, mentality is or what else could be coming up in her life, and that helps us. So if we know that she bought something for uh, a wedding in the past, you know, then we better make sure that we're giving her that inspiration ahead of wedding season. Uh, and that has really helped us to um, to increase um, our retention and repeat. And then it's exploring some kind of offers, and those offers aren't always – pure discounts, but other experiences and things that people that we can give to people that they really do value, um, that will keep them, you know, both engaged and then purchasing with the brand. So I'd love to circle back real quick, um, to the influencer piece, because it sounds like, you know, based on our conversation, that's really a big core to your strategy, because I think it plays in to your point around like leveraging referral, leveraging creative and content, you know, getting additional eyeballs through the audience and reach of those influencers. Can you help us understand a little bit more about how you're sourcing those? Like, you know, if we were going to give something that would then be like actionable takeaway for the audience around, you know, how do we really get kind of the people to understand how you're able to scale that? Because it's one thing when it's your best customers and you're throwing a party for them. It's another when it's someone that you already have a relationship with and you're inviting them to the store. But like, how do you get the next hundred influencers that, you know, you really want to bring in um, and how do you find them and how do you bring them in? Right. Uh, So the important piece there is that you're relying on other people to create content for you that you want to leverage. And and, uh, even though you can see a portfolio of something, you don't know how that's going to translate. So for us, what's been really important is um, working with people who – aren't just influence so using data in our um and our um tools to actually identify people um more so than just you know the ones who are coming to us but to say this is the kind of audience I want this is the kind of engagement I want and then diving that second layer down to like who are good storytellers and not just like pretty picture takers because for us that's you know established we don't know if Instagram is always going to be the single channel but we do know that influencers in some component have and always will be a part of luxury marketing and so if we can connect with and work with um, people who are great storytellers and have their own point of view that that's primary Um, and so how do we actually do that right so one is through um, strategic selection uh, and and having these key uh, parameters. And then the second is through testing and learning. And so um, for us, what's been really successful is um, we've started uh, what we call CR Surf Camp. So our brand makes pretty dresses, but then also performance wetsuits and, and swimsuits. And uh, so we started last year and we took a, a group of influencers broadly defined. So people with big Instagram followings, editors, et cetera. Uh, and we took them out to Montauk and uh, did a surf lesson and a dinner, et cetera. Yeah, no, it was really great. But then that what that gave us was 30 plus people creating their own content, pushing this message to their own audiences. And then we could see who was more successful in helping us achieve our goals of, you know, unique reach and clicks to site and all of these kind of things. And then we say, okay, out of the 30, it was really these five. And so we're going to continue to work with these five and know that the RL, um, the return on uh, investment is going to be there. Got it. And then, you know, since it sounds like you have these different places where you're focusing your time, especially on kind of the growth side of things, like how do you figure out 
how to solve kind of the attribution problem because you just hinted at it around you know yeah. clicks to site um, and unique reach and things like that. Um, but when you're putting money into search and you're putting money into social and you're putting money into influencer and, and it's not just money but time and effort, uh, like how are you trying to make sense of it all in terms of where should you put that next either hour or that next dollar yeah. um, so that you can help? Keep Honestly, it. it's one of the biggest challenges for us um, and uh, and something that you know I wish Instagram is very focused on the customer experience, which is great, but their brands are also customers. And so it would be you know, great if we had a little more transparency and to you know not just this um the channel generally but more specifically um but for us it's been having to get really smart around tying what we can uh to um to get that me- that accurate um measurement so for example uh most uh influencers that we will work with will share uh links affiliate links and so making sure that it's our affiliate link and so that we can track it to that and not you know the affiliate link of a shop bop or somebody else we work with but then we won't be able to see that um attribute and so it's it's a key area of focus and investment for us right now. Yeah, and, and uh, I think a big help for that, and, and to your point around partnership with uh, with Instagram and treating brands like like customers as well as you know, the kind of recent rollout of checkout through okay. um, through Instagram. I think will be a huge huge opportunity for brands to get transparency into that attribution because if you can now see oh this influencer posted you know this new dress and then twenty four people you know transacted from there yeah um yeah i think that could actually add a lot of of that transparency right i mean the shopping experience hasn't been good and so people don't actually shop there and and there's no link in the in the in the post only in you can only get there in the swipe up or in the bio and no one wants to go to the bio to navigate because they're easier at that point to google it so yeah all right cool interesting so ali you know i'm 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 really taken as I look at your background and Cynthia's background, and I see that and one could argue you're coming from polar opposites here. You know, you're yeah. a you're a Harvard grad and a uh, and you know a avid marathon runner, and you're a yeah secret out and <laughs> uh, and and you also a have a have have a you know you worked with us. Uh, Estee Lauder and you're deep into digital uh, retail and e-commerce and et cetera, et cetera, and uh, trends and t- t- all that whole world, right? Mm-hmm. And although clearly Cynthia has become a very astute business person, yeah. she came from a world of art. Mm-hmm. And people who come from a world of art, their brain works one way and people who um, – you know, are focused on business and systems and digital, their their brain tends to think of things in another way. Mm-hmm. And it is possible for them to intersect. So my yeah. question is, mm-hmm. how, where is the point that you and Cynthia intersect and then the world in which you are both working is yeah. able to make the most of that intersection? Yeah, I think it starts with what is um, – we both – have such an amazing respect for what the brand stands for and is and represents to people. And so for us, it's like inspiring uh, women to lead their best active lives um, and to, you know, um, feel supported in that and and clothing, uh, you know, helps to do that a lot of times. And so I think it's, it's knowing that we stand for something that we're both really excited about. So the goal is how do we make this brand the most successful we can, right? So that's starting place. And then I think it's it's knowing what our, you know, our assets and our, um, you know, liabilities are, right? So, you know, my one of my assets is 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 on the data um, side and analytics and kind of understanding things. Um, what's, you know, Cynthia's greatest asset is creativity. And she has had this real commitment to creativity over the years, um, which is why I think the brand has withstood all of that it has. Uh, and so as a business person, I want to be able to say, here's the formula, but then give opportunities for creativity to flow into that. And I think that now is a bigger time than ever because you're able to take smaller bets on both content and certain styles, et cetera, to really try things that are out of the box. So 
failing um, isn't as as costly as it used to be. Yeah, we don't ever say, and we we she and I say we don't ever say no. We just say how much. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like the good yeah. balance. <laughs> that's good. Uh, can you give some examples of some of the initiatives that you've been undertaking that are part of that? Okay, this this was something that we're able to. This this works in the how much equation, so we're undertaking it. Can you give us an example of some of the things that you've said yes to? Yeah, I think um, certain things that uh, I've said yes to have been partnerships that I'm like not necessarily seeing the connection at first and like, okay, how is that? <laughs> but but like relying on Cynthia and being like, okay, she is the master storyteller and how is that going to connect? And so it's a little bit of a prelude to what we're going to um, show in September, but you guys should all stay tuned because we got a really great partnership that um, is pretty inspirational coming up. Uh, and then it's um, it's different outlets for uh, for allowing people to connect with us and hear about us. And so, for example, uh, Cynthia and her daughter Kit Keenan just launched a podcast called Ageless. You can listen to it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but that's really um, an open, honest conversation, less so about the brand specifically, but about them as people and about their thoughts on um, being these, uh, you know, creatives within this um, emerging world and, and how you do that and think about that from a, someone who's 19 years old to someone who's a bit more experienced. Can you, can you uh, unpack that a little bit? I'm very interested as someone yeah. who does podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in how you thought about that and said, okay, yes, we have something to say, or right. they said, we have something to say. How was that justified within the business model that that was worth the bandwidth and possibly also some expense? Why that mattered? Why did saying that, how is that going to move, push the needle? How yeah. is that going to open opportunities or acquire customers or expand the experience of consumers or whatever the ultimate goals are? Yeah. Well, to answer the, the sort of cost perspective, ours has been uh, our, and this is on me, is is what partners can we work with to really amplify that message and who would be a great fit for us to help support us in doing that as well. So, you know, both from our podcast to our fashion shows, to uh, to our uh, influencer surf camp, etc. We work with a lot of great partners who, you know, they aren't necessarily the brand storytellers that we are, and that's our asset. So we bring that, and they can help us bring other things to to reach new audiences. And then, uh, as far as you know, having. Uh, conviction that it would be worth our time. I think, you know, the one thing is making sure it's not too much of your time, right? So I'm actually so impressed. And, and it's it's that authenticity, like Cynthia and Kit, like talk about it for like 15 minutes, and then they go in and do their thing. And then it's all over. And so, um, you know, if it's not actually that much time, and I think it's more relevant to the audience that way. Um, and I think the amazing thing about podcasts and voice is you've you've got a captive audience and you can say it in your tone and your uh in your own way that really um gets the message across from you directly so even that i can't do in text over my site etc um it allows us to 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 scale that to more people um and uh it's and like so amplifying even like the in store that you were saying because in yeah. the in store people aren't shopping with cynthia right exactly. and here it's like now that you get a chance to really let them hear from her which is cool exactly very interesting thank you all right coming up we're going to hear uh as as maybe this was starting to hint at uh, a little bit less uh, about the brand and the business, a little bit more about Allie as we get into off-the-grid questions right after this. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater-than-normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly, 
It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. It's time for Questions Off the Grid, with fashion is your business. All right, everybody, we are ready for one of my personal favorite parts of the show, and that's Off the Grid Questions, where we ask questions that are frankly a little bit more off the grid, a little more personal or human in nature, where we find out about Allie the human. <laughs> uh, and uh, we have no idea what we're going to ask coming into this segment. We have no idea the order we're going to ask it, and we solve that with a spin <laughs> of our humongous wheel of grid destiny, which I'm going to spin right now, and let's see whose name comes up first. Okay, and the first question will come from Kathy. Okay. Um, Allie, in choosing your path in life, mm-hmm. was there something significant um, that happened when you were younger that made you think, I'm going to Harvard? <laughs> I'm going into fashion. Um, I would say, you know, I like – a lot of people like you're both strategic and then you know life is kind of this happy accident sometimes so i started my career in finance um and uh was doing insurance investment banking a lot i worked on aig and um you know it was interesting and i was learning a lot but i was like eh, i'm not really connecting to this and uh, then I moved on to an investment role and was lucky enough to end up working for a firm now called L. Catterton that um, is focusing consumer retail and really found my love for consumer retail-based businesses and um, because I think there is that art and science to it that so fascinates me. Um, and it's not just a, you know, uh, a white space opportunity and plug and play margin, etc. cetera. Uh, and then I would say, you know, when I th- wanted to make the transition from being an investor to actually being on the brand side and being a brand leader, it was this, um, you know, real thoughtful, trying to be thoughtful, I guess, a uh, connection of saying, what do I feel most passionate about? And while I think it's so amazing to advise a lot of great brands, like I wanted to be in the driver's seat and take a brand and make it great or make it greater. Um, and so that's sort of why I made the, the switch. That's great. All right. Another spin of the wheel. And the next question is from me giving Joe a momentary reprieve. Uh, my question is this. Allie, what is it that you do that is the most creative when nobody's looking? Yeah, so I like to think, and we talk about this internally to our employees, is that everyone is creative in our business, myself included, and that um, is just different takes different forms, right? So for obviously for design, it's, you know, creating incredible prints, etc. Um, but for me, it's it's creative business solutions. So taking a problem and saying, uh, I think a lot of brands and companies fall into the trap of like, let's do a competitive analysis, who's doing this, what's the best way, and let's choose that winning way. But saying, okay, there's not the, you know, options A, B, and C that exist today are not the only options that exist. And what is option D? What is option E? And, um, and really, uh, flushing that out. Um, for me too, it's, it's bringing in multiple parties. So if, uh, you know, we're seeing that something is maybe not selling well, it's talking to e-com and talking to people in retail on the store and then trying to say, okay, that makes sense. Let's reshoot that, uh, product in a different way so that it can be more relatable, et cetera. Um, you know, and then, um, uh, Personally, I think, uh, you know, I'm not a designer, but I, I like to think that I have a good sense of taste. And so I, you know, will uh, spitball with Cynthia as well on what, what I think. And, you know, she takes it sometimes and leaves it other times, but it's part of the process. It's fun. <laughs> I'd like to ask a quick follow-up question if I can cheat the game here for a second. And that is, is uh, you are an avid marathoner, mm-hmm. uh, as your bio states, <laughs> somewhere out there. And my question is, is how is being a marathoner either like or not like who you are as a professional? Yeah, I think it's 
it's a lot like it. So what is the, what's challenging about a marathon is um, it's a lofty goal, right? And it's a, like no matter how many times, I mean, I've done 12 marathons, every single time it's hard. Uh, it, and, you know, if you get better, it still gets harder. Um, and I think that's, you know, analogous to, uh, to business and saying, okay, here's my big goal and it's going to be hard. But like then what marathoning has taught me is like, how do I break those down into steps that uh, help you get there? And then, um, you know, more personally and trying to enjoy life is is really like enjoying that process of training and of, you know, putting in the day to day work and et cetera, et cetera, that um, is building towards this bigger goal. So that's, you know, that's my sort of marathon slash life analogy. Thank you. All right, and one final spin of the wheel just for protocol, and uh, of course, it comes to Joe. Yeah, so um, I was I had a couple of questions teed up, but then I decided to pivot to um, to something that is pretty fun that we do at our company, which is when we interview people uh, for a role, we we always ask the same question at the end, which is um, which is usually in front of like a group of twenty people who work at our company in a circle around somebody and we'll, we'll, we'll have a couple, a little presentation and then we'll, we'll have a question. And the question is, what is the weirdest thing about you? Um, and to give you a little bit more color on it, um, <laughs> we, we like to add that it should be something that you really normally wouldn't want a lot of people to know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. in this case, no one will know since it's the secrecy of this podcast. So, um, I got news for you, Joe, this podcast, not so secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We weren't supposed to tell her that. I'm sorry. I ruined the magic. (laughs) Um, So let us in on the secret. Uh, I think that uh, my secret so if i had to think about what's my deepest darkest secret it's like what do i not want my husband to see (laughs) and uh it's like i'm a meticulous note taker and calendar like note to-do list writer but like almost to an point that's like embarrassing i'm like writing down that i need to like remember to floss even though like i should just remember to floss just so you can cross it out (laughs) yeah just so i can cross it out so but like i'm still like innately like uh embarrassed by it so when he like is overlooking my shoulder in the computer i'm I'm like no, can't, can't, like can't see that. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I I can allude to the fact that my wife is pretty much the same, and <laughs> so she has a list for like everything in life in yeah. her phone. So like we'll be talking about something really obscure, and I'll be like, oh, add it to the list of things that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and she'll be like, and like sometimes and it's a joke, and sometimes she'll be like, no, I like, actually have a list. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Allie, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been a really great conversation. Uh, I'd like to invite you to share a final thought or reflect on our conversation. Is there any parting words or pieces of wisdom or just a general comment you'd like to leave with the listener? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we uh, try to remind ourselves every day is what is our point of view. And I think that stands from brands to person to people and, and who you are. And so, um, you know, taking all this information in, learning about your customers, learning about the market, but then having a view on it. And, um, and we're, proud of the, you know, the view and the perspective that, that we at Cynthia Rally have, um, and are excited to just share it with more people. And for people who'd like to connect with the brand and with you, even yeah. you personally, how can they do that? Yeah. So please follow Cynthia Rally, um, R-O-W-L-E-Y at, on Instagram, uh, and all the other major channels. And then, um, you know, I'm not a big Instagrammer myself, but okay. you can follow me. I'm Allie underscore B underscore Egan on Instagram. And that's A-L-L-I-E? Yep. A-L-L-I-E. <laughs> Well, Ali Egan of Cynthia Rowley, thank you so very, very much thank for you. taking the time to share so much it's been with so us. Fun. It's, it's great. Really great. Yeah. And uh, I see more and more of that creative side peeking out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much and best of luck to you. And also, thank, thank you very much, Kathy Shepard. Thank Shepes. you. It was yeah. great being here. Listen to American Fashion Podcast. It's very, very good. And Kathy's on it. Uh, and I should say it was great to have Commerce Next speaker, Joe Yakwell, the CEO of Agency Within. Uh, on today's show to hear more from speakers like joe you can check out commerce next on july 31st and august 1st in new york city uh or you can just reach out to joe himself at uh, agency within thank you so much joe 
Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, that's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business, everyone. We really, really appreciate you stopping by. Uh, until next time, I'm Mark Rico. Have a wonderful day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.